Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Tristram, said he, etc., 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 etc. So, Tristram, I was called, and Tristram shall I be to the day of my death. And I'd been really stuck, and I stayed here, and Patrick said, well, have a little write in the morning, and it just, it just flowed out of me. It was amazing. But I think that's what Tristram Shandy does. It just it sets you free. What you're holding in your hand is something which is about to explode <laughs> with ideas, so many ideas that have hardly been been touched upon. I wish either my father or my mother, or indeed both of them, as they were in duty both equally bound to it, had minded what they were about when they begot me. Those are the first words of the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy Gentleman, the genre-busting postmodern 18th century novel that contains very little about Tristram Shandy's life and opinions, and an awful lot about how difficult it is to write the book that we're reading. Its author, Lawrence Stern, had been an obscure Anglo-Irish clergyman for most of his life, but he said that he wrote not to be fed, but to be famous, and in that he succeeded spectacularly. After the publication of Tristram Shandy, Stern was fated in London and Paris. He became close friends with the actor David Garrick, and he had his portrait painted by the most eminent artist of the day, Joshua Reynolds. His writing has influenced authors from James Joyce and Thomas Mann to Samuel Beckett and Salman Rushdie. And in 1878, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche called him the most liberated spirit of all time. Hello and welcome to On the Road with Penguin Classics, the podcast that takes a stroll around the world's favourite books. I'm Henry Elliott, the author of the Penguin Classics book, and in this episode we're going to digress around the little village of Coxwold in North Yorkshire, where Stern lived and wrote most of the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy. We're in the churchyard in Coxwold, I'm looking out across fields. We're in a little eminence in a kind of beautiful green valley. It's rather a damp morning in October. And I'm joined across the grave today <laughs> by uh, the children's writer, Frank Cottrell Boyce. Frank, welcome. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for joining us. Frank's uh, the author of Millions, the children's book that won the Carnegie Medal and various sequels after that. He's also written several sequels to the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> story uh, by Ian Fleming. 
He wrote the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony, directed by Danny Boyle. And Frank is also very well known as a screenwriter. He's written the screenplays for films such as Hillary and Jackie, Goodbye Christopher Robin, 24-Hour Party People. As well as that, he's the professor of reading at Liverpool Hope University. <laughs> so perfect job to have to be with us today. But Frank, you're also the author of the screenplay for the unfilmable film adaptation <laughs> of Tristram Shandy, which came out as a cock and bull story yeah, in Britain. Yeah. I guess, why don't we start... How do you describe the book Tristram Shandy to people who haven't heard of it? What What is this book? I think that phrase that you've got from Nietzsche about a liberated spirit, the book is the liberated book. I think one of the reasons that artists and writers direct each other towards it, it's like there's this thing that people say about the first Velvet Underground album, which is that only a thousand people bought it, but they all formed bands. <laughs> that reading Tristram Shandy is a huge it's a kind of blessing and it kind of sets you free because you you read that book and you think oh I didn't know you were allowed to do that in a book yes which is kind of extraordinary because it's so close to the beginning of the novel Uh and he just turns up the real book you know um so it's I think that's the kind of spirit of it the story of it is I mean the story that I take from it as a dad is it's a story of a man trying to prepare the best start in life for his son it's a very very warm book he's very human very domestic and as i mentioned it it sets out to be the life and opinions of the author and he hardly gets anywhere right he's he's kind of he he doesn't get born to the middle of volume three no it's a book about the frustration of plans isn't it and we are standing next to lawrence stern's grave yes but not all of lawrence stern is in this grave well tell us more about that we've just because lawrence stern was buried in london and where we are standing only his skull and femur are buried. And it's the skull and the femur because <laughs> the skull and the femur is the least that you can have together to guarantee your physical resurrection <laughs> on the last day. So, oh, well, that's a relief. At least he's... Uh... He couldn't even be buried properly. <laughs> no, right, like, yes. the, the book is about <laughs> being born wrong. And this is about we are standing where he was buried badly. I had never thought of that, of course. <laughs> yes. But I, I think it's a good place to start talking about the book because... Um, Death runs through Tristram Shandy, and he was struggling with uh, illness throughout writing it, struggling with tuberculosis. Yeah, I was thinking uh, on the drive up today, I was thinking, you know, this is a book that's haunted by a cough. Yes. He keeps coughing right. all the way through the book. And it's and the writing of the book is a race against time in two dimensions because he's, he's he can't write fast enough to tell you to keep up with how fast life is happening. Mm-hmm. But he's also trying to write fast enough to, to finish before death gets him. Oh, gosh, which, yes. You know, and we're standing at his grave. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> and of course, one of the best known and, and most sort of joyous aspects of this book are the games he plays with typography and, and sort of the rules of bookmaking. Yeah. And I suppose maybe the most famous page in the book is the entirely black, the black page. pair of pages which marks the death of Parson Yorick, the kind of friend of the family. Yeah. Maybe, Frank, would you be happy to read um, be thrilled to. this little description of Yorick's gravestone? Okay. And Yorick is not at all Lawrence Stone, <laughs> honestly. He lies buried in a corner of his churchyard in the parish of Dash, under a plain marble slab, dot, 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 with no more than these three words of inscription serving both for epitaph and elegy. Alas, poor Yorick. <laughs> Brilliant. 
And actually, you know, we'll talk about this more, but in strange ways, Lawrence Stern kind of blended his own real life with this book. And yeah, well, you you read that quote before, which is, I, I write, to be famous and not to be fed, uh-huh. which is a flip, I think, of, is it Sinner who said, I write to be fed and not to right. be famous? Right, okay. Everything is something else. So, like, I, But he loved being famous. He yes. really... He he was the celebrity author, uh-huh. so, and uh, he would have loved you know the festival circuit. He'd have loved Hale and yes, and, right, he would. Yeah, he'd, have been... he'd have loved front row and all those things. <laughs> he'd have been Melvin Bragg's best guest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of adopted um, this persona of his fictional character, Yorick. Right, he published his sermons under the name Yorick, and and Yorick is an interesting name for him to adopt because. Of course, the main association we have with it is the dead jester from Hamlet. Mm-hmm. So there's death again. It's a skull that Hamlet holds up. Yeah. But he was also a jester who could make yeah. people laugh. And there's, you know, there's two elements of laughter and death run throughout this book. I yeah. Think. No, absolutely. That's yeah, and it's it, it's not it's the closer the bone, the sweeter the meat, isn't it? It's a, there's right. the, the the really big laughs are to be got from the darkest uh-huh. things, uh-huh. and that's that is what Tristram Chandy does. We should say that. Stern was a had taken holy orders. He was a perpetual curate here at Coxwold, and so this was his church. He would walk here to preach here. So well, let's head in and look inside the church. Okay. It's a beautiful stone porch here. They've got a kind of bird, little bird guard gates. All right. I've not been in here wow. before. <gasps> wow. You know, you can imagine. You can imagine Stern standing in that pulpit. We're standing in this medieval church. It's rather kind of broad, isn't it? The dimension—it feels quite wide and um, spacious. And then uh, the main body of the church there are box pews, which I believe Stern had put in himself. And then through a stone arch, we can see the altar and the uh, altar rail up. But off to one side of the arch is this power pulpit. Yeah. Yes, it is. definitely had installed. You know? <laughs> this is my rider. Definitely. You can <laughs> and it's see shaped you. like a spotlight or something. It's, yeah. yeah. yeah so he was really, I, I've, it's not really hit me before ever. I've lived with this book since I was about 18. It's not really hit me before. He was, he was a performer, mm-hmm. you know, before he was anything else. Mm-hmm. He was a star preacher. You know, people people love to hear him preach, and they come and his sermons would be published, and uh, he would be paid to preach in York, um, and all those sort of typographical things in the book, which, as a kind of you know English student, you're saying, "Oh, this is about playing with the conventions of typography and narrative." <laughs> this is an attempt to kind of reproduce performance, isn't it? Right. He's trying yes. to put because he would have stood in that pulpit and said a line and then there would have been a pause you know for a giggle or yes, so uh, you know and there would have yes. been a, and the book is full of these attempts to yes. to replicate the pause you know there's no book ever that invites you to read between the lines quite like Tristan Shandy because so right. it's like because he will leave spaces between the lines do you know it reminds me of um, the Marx Brothers movies which they oh, used yeah. to show them on road trips on test audiences and listen to where the laughs came and then they'd re-edit the film to make sure they left enough of a gap in the film so wow. the laugh could die down because they only knew it would be performed live wow and um, 
And it reminds me of that. He, he must have known how to hold a crowd and, oh, absolutely. and the effects of... Well, and he became a... You know, he ended up performing being Yorick, didn't he? And yes, so on and so yes. forth. But he would have stood up there and there would have been these pauses on bits where it would go fast and gestures... Yes, so, right. like, the book is full of attempts to represent gesture. This this, this mm. diagram of the flourish of the cane, yes, or right. uh, Trim throwing his hat down, and these like very dramatic yeah, yeah. gestures. He would have done all that up there. Frank, how did you first? Um, you mentioned that you've known it since you were eighteen. How did well, you first? Younger, come actually. It? Um, yeah. I was in this sixth form, and a really terrific uh, English teacher who was not unlike Uncle Toby. Really, he was a sort of big lumber. You know, Uncle Toby's a military man. Mr. Biggs was big and he'd been a rugby player and he was very soft-spoken and very gentle and we all absolutely adored him. And in lower sixth, he gave me a copy of Tristram Shandy and he said, you'll like this. And I tried to, I just did not get it at all. But I wanted to be the boy that he thought I was. So I headbutted my way through that book and bits of it stayed with me and I just, I didn't get it, but I did it, you know. And then... When we had our first child, Tristan Shandy just exploded in my brain, like all the anxieties, all the kind of, you know, is there another book about, you know, what are we going to call the baby? Or a book, like it's an 18th century book. And like when we had our first child, there was loads of discussion. That's the beginning of National Childbirth Trust and stuff like that. A whole kind of philosophical discussion about how a baby should be born Uh and the importance of the first few minutes of a baby's life and bonding with the mother. These were huge, huge things that were going on philosophically when we were having children. And they're all there in Tristram Shandy. I mean, in comic yeah. form. Yes. And something kind of very balmy and reassuring about them that's like, you will have a birth plan, it will go terribly wrong. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will go to plan. You know, um, and that, there was something really yes. warm and reassuring and charitable about that. Yes. And you're right... And- as we'll discuss, there's very little plot in the book, but what there is is mostly about Tristram's father, Walter Shandy, trying to be a what, good wanting father. Wanting the world to be yeah. a better yeah. place, and yes. but not getting it, and being yeah. detached, and, yeah. and not really understanding it, and yeah. It's so, a, it's a, he has a wonderful... When Tristram's born, he um, decides to write the Tristopedia, <laughs> this book that will give Tristram everything he needs at every stage of his life, but he's taking so long to write it, but Tristram's growing up while he's writing it, so huge swathes become And he's useless. missing out on Tristram growing up, because <laughs> yes, totally. he's busy writing this, this encyclopedia. Oh, gosh. While we're here, um, you know, talking about Stern as a clergyman, there's one bit in the book maybe we should mention, which is a bit of a set piece earlier on, when um, they come across a sermon in an old book, and um, I think it's Corporal Trim. The uh, Abuse of Conscience, is it? The Abuse of Conscience. He picks up um, this old book and uh, shakes it. The description is, he took hold of the two covers of the book, one in each hand, and letting the leaves fall down as he bent the covers back, he gave the book a good sound shake. Really physical description. And what happens in the story is this loose sermon falls out, which they then read. But it's such a clever trick because... They read the sermon, so the sermon is included in the book that we're yeah. holding in our hands. So, in, you know, if the book had been bound a bit loosely, we could have picked up our own book and shaken it, and yeah. the sermon would have fallen out. And then the extra twist is that that sermon is almost verbatim a sermon that Stern himself had preached yeah. um, at York. And so, again, it just one of the examples of him playing with 
reality and and blending different levels of and also that's a cutting and pasting thing that he would do that yes. he'd take things from or sampling like in it like in modern dance music or something like that right. they would sample yes. things so he'd take his own sermon and put it in but there's also that great speech about plagiarism in the book mm. which is completely which is plagiarized, plagiarized. Yes. <laughs> it's plagiarized from Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy yes. where it's not really Burton either because that's the whole point of the Anatomy of Melancholy is that that is that's a cut awesome. up of yes. other sources so even the original thing that he's plagiarised it from, he sort of plagiarised it anyway. So it's like, it's like when you listen to Uptown Funk and you, you right. listen to it and think, oh, that's the bit from Let's Dance and I love this bit from, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You, you can hear that it's a collage of other songs, you know. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant. So this is the route, I guess, Stern would have walked very regularly. Yeah, back, back and, and forth. forth to the parsonage. Yeah. He'd had a very kind of chaotic life, hadn't he, to this point. Yeah, that's They'd right. back and forth between Ireland and England. He'd been at school in Yorkshire. That's right. And then he did then take holy orders, kind of um, with the help of his uncle, who was a canon at York Minster. But then there's this brilliant twist, isn't it? The uncle says, like, you can go to this school and I'll sort you out. Yeah. And then lands him with a bill for it afterwards. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. He ended up having to pay his own school fees retrospectively. Like a student loan. Yes, right. So he's very modern, you know. So he was <laughs> yes. burdened with this debt. And he... So for about 20 years, he lived in a village not that far away from here called Sutton-on-the-Forest. And he was the local vicar there, I suppose, a parson. And that's where he wrote the first two volumes of right. Tristram Shandy. And then it was the success of those that allowed him to move to a larger home. And that's when he moved to this house just up the road here. And uh, that's where he wrote the rest of Tristram Shandy and his final book, A Sentimental Journey. So we're just... We've walked along the road, coming sort of out of the village of Coxwold, really, and we've come to the edge of the village, and here is a really beautiful red brick and stone house and it's kind of hard to describe because it's a real sort of hodgepodge of bits that have been sort of added on here and adapted there and it's it, very cute it's it is if yeah. you made a model of it it would be like sylvanian family or something <laughs> like that <laughs> it's got two gables with uh sash windows in them but then a pair of chimneys sort of added on the right and then a, a rather sort of formal georgian yeah, construction on the on the left hand side. This is where Lawrence Stern came to live, and he called it Shandy Hall, the the name of Tristram Shandy's home in the first yeah. two volumes that he'd yeah. written. I mean, it's such a crazy idea. So I think if we if we walk round to the front door, yeah, you can't imagine anyone. You can't imagine J.K. Rowling calling a house Hogwarts. Hogwarts. <laughs> And making it look a bit like Hogwarts, and then retro claiming that it was Hogwarts, <laughs> which is, but it's so. It's, there's nothing grand about it, is there? It's no. a big house, but it's no. not grand. It's not intimidating in any way. It's very inviting. It it really is inviting. Hello. Hello. Be careful of the steps. The ancient steps, worn by your feet. <laughs> Would you like to come through to the kitchen? Or right. the old yes, kitchen? Thank you. There we are. God, what a beautiful room. And you've got the fire going. That's the fire's wonderful. going too, which is good. Yeah. 
we've just stepped into the kitchen of uh, Shandy Hall and we've been invited in by the curator and custodian of Shandy Hall, Patrick Wildgust. Patrick, thank you very much for having us in here. Um, Patrick, for um, people who haven't visited Shandy Hall, can you describe the house, where we are? Well, we're standing in the framework of what was a timber-framed hall dating from 1430. Right. It's one of what was a row of medieval houses that went down all this side oh, of the road. Oh, interesting. And it's taken on its different identity now. I mean, it's, it's a true literary house because it's not where he was born or died, which is often accidental, yes. but it's where he wrote. Right. Yeah. And you, Frank, know that because you wrote a bit. I in, did. In, I wrote a, a chunk of my book. In his, It's one of the most amazing things that's ever happened. Oh, well, it was great. What was the book you wrote? It was, wrote? It was called Cosmic. And I'd been really stuck. And I was like, and I stayed here and Patrick said, well, have a little write in the morning. And I went, just, it just flowed out of me it was amazing Great, and it's it? still the best thing i've written really so good isn't it yeah tapping yeah. into the i think that's what shandy tristram shandy does it just like we were saying before it's, it sets you free why don't we talk about some of the characters a little bit more because we've, we've been mentioning uncle toby and walter and frank would you be happy to give us a rundown of who's in this book who are the characters well, weirdly, the star is Toby, isn't it? Yeah. When you think, and Toby is the character that carried this book to fame, I would say. And, and everybody loves. And everybody loves him. And he's probably the most lovable, openly lovable character in fiction. He's this guy who was injured at the siege of Namor. He's back from the war. His valet is his Batman. Would, would he be would Trim yeah. being a Batman? Yeah. It's the most... If we talk about timing in Tristram Shandy and comic timing, there's a joke, and it's like... 300 and odd pages before it pays off, and it's worth it. Yeah. Right? It burns slowly, doesn't it? Very, quite. very slow. Yeah. Slow as burn, which yeah. is the question of where Toby was injured. Right, right. And there's also this wonderful... We were just talking about how what, what a performer Stern was. It has this great riff that whenever anything gets difficult, yes. Toby just whistles Lilla Bolero, <laughs> which is incredibly difficult to represent on the page. Yes. But as soon as you start reading it out, it's brilliant. I think it was William Hazlitt who said that uh, Toby is one of the finest compliments ever paid to human nature. Yeah, that's and perfect. Good, isn't it? And he became a kind of role model, didn't he? Mm. And a cult. Uh, and people wanted to sort of meet Toby and be like I, I, one of those characters that seems more alive than a lot of people. Well, in fact, I think in Germany there's a grave. Someone buried Uncle they, Toby. They, they, created, they created graves for the characters from Tristan Shandy. Yeah. Okay. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. So Uncle Toby, and so who else is in this book? Well, there's Uncle Toby. Well, Uncle Toby's got his sidekick, which is Trim. Gawful Trim. Who, and Toby is courted by the widow Wadman. Yes. And which is just the richest, most wonderful thing because he's he has no idea how to deal with women, and she's very forthright. Like anatomically, there are things mm. she wants to know about him, which he doesn't have any vocabulary for. <laughs> or he does, but he thinks it's a vocabulary of, about fortifications. <laughs> you, 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 put, you do that so well in the film adaptation with Rob Brydon playing Uncle Toby. He's, yeah. he, he delivers those lines so well. I was injured exactly here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where he's standing. Um, and the Widow Wadman's a wonderful uh, character, brilliant. isn't she? Brilliant. One of, the, one of the brilliant tricks that... Stern plays as uh, at one point he's trying to describe what she looks like and then he just gives up and says look here's a blank page you draw a picture of her and then you'll know uh, paint her to your own paint mind. her to your own liking <laughs> I mean and then there's Walter who's Tristram's dad who is the kind of structural core of everything because he's the one who has the narrative in his head mm-hmm. of how all this should go mm-hmm. and 
So he's the index of how obscene everybody is, you know. And he feels like he's very he's read his lock. He, he's sort of got all his up to date philosophy and yeah. medical knowledge, and just nothing goes to. Apply. And nothing relates to anything that's actually happening <laughs> around him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the one who's got this very modern kind of uh, view of childbirth. So he wants a, a, doc, a doctor there with the right equipment. Right. But just sadly, that doctor turns out to be Doctor Doctor Slop. Slop. <laughs> Whose name should have told you? It's so funny, isn't it? Because like one of Walter's things is that you have to have the right name. Yeah, you know. So I've got to give you. And but he somehow doesn't notice that a doctor called Slop Slop is not going to be necessarily very great. The description of Slop is um, a little squat, uncourtly figure of Doctor Slop of about four feet and a half perpendicular height, with a breadth of back and a sesquipedality of belly, which might have done honour to a sergeant in the horse guards. Basically, a kind of ball. So he wants a forceps delivery, whether it's the wife wants an NCT home birth. Uh, so it's the, it is mm. modern versus yeah. you know yeah. it, then the forceps doesn't go well. <laughs> brilliant. Well, that's a brilliant pricey of the characters. So Patrick, you've brought in the yeah. first edition of. I mean, Frank, do you want to describe what we're seeing here? What I mean, what, the first thing that strikes you is that these are little books. That your experience yeah. of Tristram Shandy is picking up this weighty tome, exactly. and these are little. That, and they fit in your pocket. Yeah. And they look like little pocket rockets, you know. Same size as Johnson's Rasselas, and he got that yes. idea from it. Yeah. Oh, there it is, the black page that we were just discussing. And it's not as black as it was. No, they be... vary, obviously, from, from yeah, each, of course. E- depending on how it was. Because it took a lot yeah. of ink to make that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I've shown this to printers, I've shown this to engravers, and nobody, nobody has been able to come up with an absolute definite that's how it was made. It's lovely to see it there like this because it is it's very faded, it's very variegated. It doesn't it doesn't look like the black page, yeah. does it? It looks mm, like yeah. it's inviting you through. It's yeah. a doorway. Alas poor Yorick. Alas poor Yorick. Yes, it feels more like a sort of like a portal in the page, doesn't yeah. it, when you see it there? And so he would write while he was writing Tristan Shandy, about two volumes a year was what he was aiming for, mm. right? And he has he has that great line where he says, um when he'd written five volumes, he says, As we've got through these five volumes, do, sir, sit down upon a set. They're better than nothing. Let us just look back upon the country we have passed through. And now they're stacked up. They do look like, you could imagine a tiny little stool. There <laughs> but they do look up. like, you know, collect the set, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Yes. Yes. They look, yeah. they look yes. good yeah. together. Okay, so let's, um, let's move through next door into the room where we think Stern wrote the volumes of Tristram Shandy. This is it. This is the writer's equivalent of the time vortex. Aha. This is it. This is the... Oh, it's such a cabinet, isn't it? It's a little it's, cabinet. It's a beautiful room. It's completely lined with books. Uh, it's got this lovely window. And this is theoretically one of the largest collections of editions of Stern. Uh, so so you, we've got the sermons, the letters. You can really imagine Stern sitting in this room with the sun streaming in as it is now. I mean, one of the things that happens in the book is that... Uh, He's constantly reminding you that he is writing and sort of describing the circumstances of the writing of the book. And, you know, there's several moments where he describes the exact time and date that he's got to at the moment of writing. And this this little passage is uh, fun to imagine while we're standing in here. It's not half an hour ago when, in the great hurry and precipitation of a poor devil's writing for daily bread, I threw a first sheet, which I had just finished and carefully wrote out, slap into the fire instead of the foul one. Instantly, I snatched off my wig and threw it perpendicularly with all imaginable violence up into the top of the room. Indeed, I caught it as it fell. 
Such a, so that, you see it. Like, you can really yeah. picture it, can't you? I've got to say, the top of the room is not, not very that far high, away. No. It's not a big throw, that. But then he, he was ill, wasn't he? He was <laughs> ill. That's true. Yeah. Um, so why don't we, while we're in this room where he, where he wrote a lot of the book, why don't we talk about the writing of this book, which he, is one of the themes that comes back again and again in the book. I mean, one of the things he talks about is how slow the progress is. how hard it is to sort of get through this. He says, I declare I've been at it these six weeks, making all the speed I possibly could, and I'm not yet born. And that's one of the lines you really pick up on in the screen adaptation. But the film keeps getting ahead of itself, and you say, but I'm not yet born, and we kind of rewind back and start again. Yeah. I mean, it's always like the the, the difference, which goes to the theme of it, isn't it, that you have an idea for a book, and it's suddenly very clear to you, and you think, oh, great, I'll just do that. And then, of course, it takes forever to do it. And it's very painful. And you forget what the idea that gave you that spark was, which is, you know, which is the same as growing up, isn't it? I've got this great idea for a life that I'm going to have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he, he's live streaming, isn't he? That's the, the right. feel of it. It's yes. like I'm live streaming the writing of a book. The experience that, and, that I'm like, having right and, now. And it's the business of writing it. So it's kind of overtaking yeah. the, yes. the actual book. And it is interactive. We mm-hmm. talk all the time about, when, we, especially when we talk about classic literature, mm-hmm. as if it's a solitary pursuit that is, solid, is consumed in a solitary way, which is extremely difficult when you're talking about comedy because mm-hmm. nobody really laughs out loud on their own, you know? And I think it does have an interesting study. And part of it is this very clever thing that he does which is that he's got a reader in the book with him. So yes. you're not reading it on your own yes. because there's a reader there right. on page yes. one yes. saying, what, what, what did your father say when, yeah. he, was, when yeah. he was interrupted? Yes. And, just, and Stern says, nothing. And you've got someone else. And it's, yeah. the, it's, the, and it's like you as a reader know that when the father is interrupted he's not interrupted when he's talking he's interrupted because he's having sex but the reader goes what when you say he was interrupted what was he saying it's like oh nothing nothing nothing." (laughs) so you've got a stupid reader right and sometimes there's more than one reader because uh, do you remember that bit where uh, he starts a new chapter and says now i told you in the last chapter that my mother was not a papist he says yeah and and uh a female reader says, what? I did. I missed that bit. He says, yeah. okay, you have to go back and reread that chapter. Yeah. Then you imagine that reader going back and he carries on talking to you yeah. reading the book. Yeah. And then she, that reader comes back and joins you and like, yeah. now, did you see what I mean? Yeah. But it's extraordinary to carry the, uh, the understanding of that device, isn't it? The yes. idea that you can give birth to that sort of idea. Oh, yeah, hugely. But also I think what's like on a practical level, when you watch a live comedian, the best bit is when they pick up something from the beginning of the routine mm. and bring it back. Right. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's, that's the essence of comedy. It's really hard if you're writing because it was months ago that you yes. wrote that line. Yes. And you don't remember that you wrote that. And you've got to go back to find it. So that going back and forth in the book, which he's compelling the reader to yeah. do, that's what you have to do if you're, if you're trying to write something funny. You've got to keep remembering that right. you set this up, you've yes. set this up. That's the art of it. And I think the other thing is that the readers that he puts in the book are stupid. Mm. So you feel smart. Mm, and then you're encouraged to, ex- yes. to show how smart you are by laughing at the jokes. Right. You know, I get it. This person didn't get it. I get it. I completely get that they were having sex. You know? <laughs> he, he sets it up, the writing of it, as a kind of impossible super task, doesn't he? He says, 
I'm this month one whole year older than I was this time twelve month, and having got, as you perceive, almost into the middle of my fourth volume, and no farther than to my first day's life, tis demonstrative that I have 364 days more life to write just now than when I first set out. <laughs> so he's kind of... He's right, exactly. It's <laughs> kind of... If it takes him a year to write a day, yeah. it's going to be a problem. The paradox. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting about the publication of Stern's books in the, while he was still alive is that in volumes five, seven, and nine of Tristram Shandy, he signs every copy. No. Every copy? Every copy of volumes five, seven, and nine. No. Wow. So, look, so the people going around London saying, I have a rare unsigned copy. <laughs> 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 wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And this is was supposed to perhaps deter... Were there pirate editions or something? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Fan, fanfic yeah. was big, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I remember, yeah. Um, is it Christopher Wagstaff? There was a book called The Night... Night Rambler. He wrote these books about moving around London at night. Really? That have like a Shandy and Dash in. Oh, do and they? And then after, yeah. uh-huh. uh, but they predate um, Tristram Shandy. And then when Tristram Shandy came out, they were republished as uh, The Wanderings of Christopher Wagstaff, grandfather to, <laughs> Tristram, oh. to Tristram Shandy. Oh, it's yeah. probably in the Garland edition, is it? That the pink, it may be in there somewhere, because that's all the... There it is. There we go. There we go. The Life and Travels and Adventures of Christopher that gentleman, grandfather to Tristram Shandy. Oh, brilliant. And just when you flick through there, it does look like they've really kind of gone for the... Yeah, the dashes the, the a bit. dashes, yeah. and I saw some asterisks. And Frank, one of the brilliant things you do in your film adaptation of Tristram Shandy is in the first third of the film, we're, we're in the world of Tristram Shandy. We're kind of watching the characters. And then there's this incredible moment a third of the way through where the camera pulls back and you see a camera crew filming the actors, and suddenly we're in the world of actors putting on this story. And so, just like Stern is describing the writing of his novel, we see the making of this film. And there's even a there's even a writer who you call Joe, but <laughs> bears some resemblance to you in some ways. And yeah. so, was that an idea you'd had for a long time, or was that? Oh, I had it for a long, very long time. I think Tristan Shandy was the first film I ever pitched to anybody, really? and it took a long, long time before anybody picked it up. And for me, it was it was always about birth, but it it always always seemed that you would have to be a film about making films, of which there are not that many. But what I, what I also was drawn to was the fact that a film crew, when it's working, is like a little village. And it's got a little hierarchy and there's people doing stuff. It's not a purely intellectual move. It works so well. And, and you, you, you work into that crew lots of the little hints that uh, Stern gives us to his real life behind the book as well. He kind of gives a hint in the book about uh, his mistress that he calls Jenny. Yeah. And so you very cleverly put in a runner called Jenny and uh, Steve Coogan playing himself, Steve Coogan's wife in the film is called Jenny. And so... All these Well, Coogan was perfect casting as well, wasn't he? Because he's done exactly what Stern has done. That he created this character yes. who is uncomfortably yeah. like him. Right. That he will flip into and out of. And it's been with him his whole life, which is yes. Alan Partridge. Yes. Brilliant. Well, gosh, it's so exciting being in this room. But let let's go and explore some of the rest of the house and talk about a couple of the few plot points which happen <laughs> within this big book. <laughs> let's head out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Gosh, there's so many fascinating oh, things on the walls. This is a lovely room. This is a very comfortable. It's a beautiful room, isn't it? Convivial. Frank, yeah. would you describe the room... So it is, it's beautifully lit. It's got two great big windows and the sun is pouring through them. They're nice, bright colours. And um, it, it's considering it's such a, a low ceiling, it feels very convivial. It seems like yes. a nice place to sit and chill and chat. And it feels very much the spirit of Tristan Shandy, actually. Well, it's the, the end of the medieval building as well, which finishes then here. And then the bits behind me, two little half room, were put on by Stern. Right, okay. He extended. extended So he might have done it for light, as you, as you. Yeah. Yes. Because it looks out into the gardens, on that way. Yeah. I thought in here we could talk about one of the most comical scenes in the book. And Patrick, I was wondering if you'd be happy to read out a passage, this uh, top one here. Trismegistus said my father, but stay. Thou art a leaky vessel, Susanna, added my father. Canst thou carry Trismegistus in thy head the length of the gallery without scattering? Can I? cried Susanna, shutting the door in her huff. If she can, I'll be shot, said my father, bouncing out of bed in the dark and groping for his breeches. Susanna ran with all speed along the gallery. My father made all possible speed to find his breeches. Susanna got the start and kept it. Tris! Tris! Something! cried Susanna. There is no Christian name in the world, said the curate, beginning with Tris, but Tristram. Then Tristram Gistus, quoth Susanna. There's no Gistus to it, noodle. Tis my own name, replied the curate, dipping his hand as he spoke into the basin. Tristram, said he, etc, 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 etc. So Tristram I was called, and Tristram shall I be to the day of my death. Brilliant. Very well read, Patrick. And of course, a big joke there is that Walter Shandy has just been talking at length about how Trismegistus is the best name of all names, but the absolute worst name in the world is the name Tristram. So this he's gone from kind of 
hoping to have, give, give his son this great blessing of this incredibly fortunate name. And through this kind of farcical episode, it ends up being called Tristram. Yeah. It just, it's a fantastic, just so well written, you know, such, the writing there in just one paragraph. It's, it's, a, it's a whole or scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, so, and it's richer than that, isn't it? Because he's, he's debated what's the best name to mm. give him. But it's got an urgency to it as well because Tristan, poor Tristan's already had a terrible start. He's had this birth trauma where the bridge of his nose has been broken. So his father says, well, he's had these strikes against him, but we can give him this compensatory piece of magic, which is this amazing name. Yeah. Uh, and so off she goes with it. And he, and he has to run after her with his breeches in his hands because <laughs> he doesn't trust her. I think it's really worth noting that it's not Susanna who really gets it wrong. No. The, yes. This guy mansplaining yeah. to her saying, yeah. no, that's yeah, wrong. Exactly. And it, it's, yeah. it's Tristan, just have it. You know? And whose name is Tristram? It's I think that's, that's, that's a like, cherry on the cake. The like, curate is called Tristram. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the worst name in, in the world. And there's, even before that, there's this little moment when, because the baby's being baptised quickly, because he's he's black and yes. he's, he's, yeah. he's, 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 he's choking and they think he's going to die, so they're quickly uh, baptising him in case he dies. So he has this sort of moment of stuttering, he's thinking, well, I could call him Toby, because Toby would like that, and then I won't have wasted this great name yes, <laughs> on a kid who's going to die anyway. <laughs> I can throw him if he's going to die. Anyway. And then, of course, the minute he's baptised, he completely recovers. And it's one of those sequences where, because uh, the book it is very digressive, but every now and then there are these moments of incredible momentum mm, and yes. kind of Woodhousian yes. farce. And this is one of those, it's like, you, this is a real page-turning sequence where there's, the, you know, the baby turning black, possibly dying, got to get, get, get baptised in time. What's his turn? Oh, God, go, go, stop, get my breeches. Go, go, go. And it's, it's yeah. really rapid. It's really, really fast. Rapid, and, yeah. and it's building up to this terrible, terrible <laughs> moment. Well, if you're expecting to confront a, a traditional book with a traditional beginning, a middle and an end, then you're going to find either you're off on an adventure that you didn't know that you were going to take part in, or you get really irritated and frustrated <laughs> and cross because it's exactly. not doing what it should yes. do. And he says at one point, if I were you, I'd throw this book at the wall because you'll be frustrated right now. Yeah, I think it's worth saying that it's, it's all right to be frustrated yeah. by this book. And yeah. it is all right to dip into it wherever yes. you want to. It's not, it's not a book that demands that you read it in a particular way. Yes. Talking about reading, there's, there's one passage where he turns to the reader and says, read, 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 my unlearned reader, read. Or by the knowledge of the great saint Paralapomenon, <laughs> I tell you beforehand, you had better throw down the book at once. And that this section introduces. We talked earlier about the black page, but the black page's sort of uh, equivalent, which crops up later, is the marbled page. The marbled page. And this passage about the importance of reading introduces this page. He says, uh, without much reading by which your reverence knows I mean much knowledge, you will no more be able to penetrate the moral of the next marbled page, motley emblem of my work, than the world with all its sagacity has been able to unravel the many opinions, transactions and truths which still lie mystically hid under the dark veil of the black one. And opposite those words is this beautifully and it's produced early editions. Yes. This, so marbled paper would traditionally have been used for the end, end papers, papers of yeah, the book. yeah. And so Stern turns the book inside out by putting this marble page in the middle of it. And, of course, in every different first edition, this would have been a unique page. Because they're separately marbled. Yes, individually marbled. 
And so I think, gosh, there's so much going on here, isn't it? There's there's so much about, it's almost like a Rorschach test or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, you know, part of it is that you take your own, you, everyone reads their own Tristram Shepard. Yes. yes. You find your own way through it. And he's also, at this point, he, as the writer, is relinquishing all responsibility for this page to somebody else. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Patrick, you you have so many different editions of Tristram Shanti over the years. How have people approached that page? Well, some have ignored it completely because it costs too much. Right. So when Stern dies, then you don't necessarily get any more motley emblems of anybody's work. In fact, you sometimes get those bits cut out. Right. In the same, which you don't tend to get with the black page. Often the black page, however, is represented for reasons which, is, which are beyond me. There's a French edition which reproduces the black page as a black and white checkerboard. <laughs> yeah. for, for, why? <laughs> you say, why have you done this? Yes, if you can do the black e- squares. Even the Everyman edition, the early Everyman edition, mm. pre- reproduced the black page as a miniature black page at the bottom of the page. You know, Stern is responsible for those first two volumes completely. He's designed them. It goes out into the world exactly as he wants the it to be. That so, we, yeah, so we know that he wanted it to be this size, looking like yeah, that completely. Yeah. So although there is no manuscript, that covers it to some extent. But after he dies, people just play around with it. Because they're the editors who are going to decide how much blooming ink they're going to use on yes, page, right. which they're not. And it's very important to take this as being an artist's book. Yes. It's an artist's book because it's, it's, it, it, it's exactly the same as any other book, apparently, but it isn't. What you're holding in your hand is something which is about to explode <laughs> yeah, with, right. with, you know, the, with ideas, so many ideas that have hardly been, been touched upon, which we now accept as being perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, children are, are far more easily able to deal with complicated narrative structures and with jumps and leaps in time without any problem. But this is all pretty new. Yeah, right. Not brand new, but yeah. pretty new. It's really exciting to see that because, for instance, in, you know, in the Penguin Classics edition, it's, uh, it's a black and white reproduction printed. of a printed page and yeah. it's the same one in every copy. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's still a surprise and quite a stunning moment, but it's not as spectacular Nothing, no. as that. Yeah. And it's colour. Well, let's. So that's the mischristening is one great scene in the book. Let's uh, head upstairs for another of those great scenes. Come this way. I'll follow you, Frank. Past various archbishops. Yeah. Oh, what a gorgeous room. Wow. God, isn't so, this so, so this elegant. was Lawrence Stern's. Bedroom. Pretty sure, yeah. We're pretty sure. And again, it's a beautiful day to see it on because the sun is pouring through the window. And of course, the bedroom has a sash window looking out, <laughs> out onto the road outside. It and sends a chill, <laughs> a chill into any man's bones. <laughs> so this is another of the great uh, moments in the book. And I'll read this one out. One of the tricky things about talking about Tristram Shandy in audio form, is that there are a lot of visual jokes, which is hard to get across. And one of those is that several words in this passage are blotted out with asterisks. Mm. But it's pretty obvious what the words are. So this is how it goes. The chambermaid had left no... under the bed. Cannot you contrive, master? quoth Susanna, lifting up the sash with one hand as she spoke and helping me up into the window seat with the other. Cannot you manage, my dear, for a single time to... I was five years old. 
Susanna did not consider that nothing was well hung in our family, so slap came the sash down like lightning upon us. Nothing is left, cried Susanna. Nothing is left for me but to run the country. <laughs> so many jokes going on in that short paragraph. There's the asterisks, you know, you could, it's obvious that it's piss out of the window. And um, the joke about nothing being well hung and then nothing is left. There's so many moments in the book where there's questions about... Meaning. Meaning, yeah. Double entendres, and particularly about emasculation and whether Toby and whether Tristram have all their equipment in one yeah. piece. Yeah. <laughs> in many ways, it's a very bawdy book, and that was part of appeal, I'm sure it must have been. It is, and and yet it has a tone, doesn't it? It's, it I always think about that... that you know, it opens with two people having sex. Right. But it's it's described in this sort of slightly biblical language as I, I wish they'd minded what they're about when they begot God. me. Mm. Yes. You know, it, so straight away it's it's got a kind of dignity Raised to it. Raised eyebrows, yes. yes. Yeah, which belies, you know, the fact that really the core moment of the book is someone getting the willy trapped in the sash window. <laughs> oh, I the thought of it. <laughs> which is connected with Toby. Yes. You know, it's, it's because of Toby's groin that Tristram's groin and, is and why just why is that why because the reason that the sash window <laughs> collapses on his willy <laughs> is that um, Trim has taken the lead weights out of the window <laughs> to help create this model of the Battle of Namor so that Toby can show people where he was injured <laughs> There's an arena where he reveals exactly that this is what he means. <laughs> right. So it couldn't, not yes, necessarily yes. what you deduce it to yes, be. Right. It's and your mind reader. Right. It's God, your yes. mind reader. Yes, there is that slightly Frankie Howard thing to it all. Yes. Like, no, Mrs. No. <laughs> there's a lot of something else altogether. Joke about noses, isn't there? Yeah. And he's sort of talking about how it's very good to have a long nose and women love a man with a long nose. And, and he keeps stopping and saying, read it. I, I only mean noses I'm by this, but the more noses. he says it, the more your mind goes elsewhere. <laughs> That's brilliant. So yeah, there's lots of these tricks, aren't there? There's digressions, and and Tristram famously says that digressions are the sunshine yeah. of life. And I mean, he says in that passage, he says, uh, if you take digressions out of this book, for instance, you might as well take the book along with them. And actually, it's the digressions which make it such an enjoyable there's something about pace and omission isn't there as well if that thing of like saying we'll skip this bit that makes you feel as though you're kind of gathering momentum you know like, mm. like, I always think yes. that in Johnson when you read in Johnson that you'll start a book by saying well we won't be talking about th- I'm going to talk about going to the highlands and the islands and we won't be talking about this and I won't be describing that and you feel by the end of like one paragraph that you've 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 skipped a book you know you've right. got this feeling of we're really going somewhere game. we know yes. what's going on so when Stern like says, well, we'll miss a chapter here. He feels, though, finally we're getting somewhere. (laughs) Yes, I love that bit where he cuts the chapter out. And then the funniest thing, because the page numbers suddenly skip, and he says, "Don't." if you've noticed the page numbers skip, don't worry. I I meant to take that chapter. And then his reason for taking it out, do you remember, is because the chapter was so good, it made everything else look bad. So the whole thing is improved by taking out the best chapter. (laughs) And he also plays around with the way that the book is constructed because he alters the way the pagination works. So it goes from right... right... it being the odd numbers and, and the even numbers stop being that and are switched over so he's deconstructing the way that the book is put together there's that bit where toby's cut off in mid-sentence and then it's kind of two volumes later or something that he finally finishes the sentence yeah. and he's but, but yeah there's lots of things which are kind of thrown up and then yeah, held so in sometimes suspension. they come back in a completely temporal way it's yeah. like you've mm. fought that thing up yeah 
Oh, it's back. That's fun. Uh-huh. It's funny that it's back. But sometimes they come back in a really substantial way, like mm-hmm. the way Toby's obsession with his groin connects with poor old Tristram's groin in this well, that tragic like a... sash collapse. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we follow Corporal Trim's footsteps? And that feels like a good moment to head outside and talk about the fortifications. Yeah. Don't touch the sash window. <laughs> come out now into the garden, into the lawn alongside Shandy Hall, beautifully kept by Patrick and his partner Chris. And we can imagine on this beautiful, pretty smooth plot of, of lawn, we can imagine Uncle Toby and Corporal Trim setting about their fortifications. Frank, do you want to set this up? Like, what, yeah. are, what are they doing? So, Toby has been at the Siege of Namor where he's received his grievous blow. And he's he's obsessed with it. So he's always been making a model. And he makes it originally on a tray in bed, I think, something mm. like that. And Trim has the idea of, of going large on this and doing it on the bowling green. <laughs> and so they build, they start to build a model of Namur and the Siege of Namur using bits from the house, tragically, using the uh, the lead weights from the sash window as cannons. And, and they, they reconstruct this moment out here. It's just it's such a great symbol of of any kind of creative yeah. act. You know, you're trying to memorialise or reconstruct or rebuild a moment so that somebody else can understand mm. it. But it's also bonkers. <laughs> you know? Well, a bit like the book, and it's a never-ending effort, is it? They're not going to finish doing this. They're constantly replacing the bridges and sort of but improve, And also, it's so familiar, isn't it? It is, you know, a matchstick cathedral, all those sort of things yeah. that old blokes do or people who've been through trauma yeah. do to kind of put themselves back together again. That thing of like trying to capture a moment to try to explain it in art, the therapeutic value yeah. of that, well, but true, also the yeah. hobbyishness of it. And, you know, Toby has a hobby horse and it is a hobby. Yes. But it's also got this kind of emotional weight to it, and it's also really, really, really funny. And it's Trim's care and understanding of the situation that Uncle Toby is in. And the tenderness in. of Trim, and exactly. him saying, like, yeah, I hadn't thought about that till now, but he literally gets him out of the house into the fresh air to do this. So he's, he doesn't sort of try to persuade him away from pondering on this yeah. moment. He says, come and ponder on it out here, and we'll do it together, and it'll be fun, and we'll castrate your... Nephew accidentally in the process. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and they, what it's always like when you're describing this book, is that you kind of go off on this thing about a beautiful sentimental idea and then some, it will always lead you somewhere terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that relationship between Trim and, and Toby beautiful. is beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Very affectionate. Where he stands behind the chair. You know, he's, the, the Uncle Toby doesn't want him to stand behind the chair. He wants him to sit down or he wants him to leave it. You know, yeah. But he's, he's always there making sure that everything is all right. And, but, and also that thing that I think is really important about this book is that the working class characters, the servants, yeah. have lots of agency. Yes. This is, this is Trim's idea. It's Trim who took the lead weights out of the sash <laughs> windows and also cut up Walter's favourite boots, boots yes. his jack boots. The jack boots, are the, my favourite thing in the world. He <laughs> chopped them up. Of all the things. And of course, it's, in, it's at the fortifications that uh, Toby is wooed by the widow, widow Wadman. Wadman intrudes yes. herself into it and says, I have something in my eye. <laughs> And it's not in the white. Squeezing herself down <laughs> I don't room. know why that feels so suggestive. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like kind of, uh, yeah, she's like a very forward version of Brief Encounter where she kind of imposes herself 
on this man who who says, I don't know one end of a woman from the other. <laughs> and she's very keen to know where he's injured, which gives rise to lots of um, puns <laughs> about, about what his injury might imply. And then he says, I'll show you the very spot <laughs> in which I was injured. She gets very flustered about the possibility of looking up where she thinks he might have been injured. Yes, about to reveal. And then he takes her out onto the lawn and shows her the says, very... I'll put your finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick, in terms, what was Lawrence Stern's love life like? Was he a shine retiring as Toby? Or was I wish, he... wish I knew. I mean, his, his association with his wife was one of, it seems to be a sort of compatible association, the fact that she was in the south of France with his daughter and he wasn't. Right. Although he did go over on a number of occasions, but he had a he had a sort of a rather intense relationship with a young woman called Eliza Draper, who he met in London, and she was but twenty two and married with children, and he was fifty three. Husband was in India, right? Yeah, and the relationship between Lawrence Stern and Eliza is one that is you could speculate on mm. quite easily because he writes the most beautiful letters to her, although we don't have the originals. I think it's important to know what's real and what's not real and what sort of people are making up as being what they think it is because those, those letters don't exist that we can see. There, there are some reproductions of some of the letters that Eliza is supposed to have written to Stern, but they also have mysteriously disappeared since the 1920s. And it's... We can't be absolutely certain, but he does use that... Um, relationship that he does have with her to produce another voice you've got Stern's voice of Tristram Shannon you've got Stern's voice from the the pulpit Mm -hmm. we've got Yorick's voice which is slightly different in Sentimental Journey and we've got this other voice which is the letters to Eliza and it's it's like reading a different person I mean he 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 describes the room that he's getting ready for her he describes all the places that he walks and it's they're they're love poems you know they're love love right love letters but is he just playing around with writing love letters yeah it's, it's, I don't mean to make him tricksy all the time, but he is tricksy all the time. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, you can never be absolutely yes. sure. Well, we're right into game. You will know. Well, you <laughs> yeah, will know. It's a game. You know, yeah. he's playing a game. There's a moment in Sentimental Journey when Parson Yorick, who who is not the same as Stern, but in some ways similar, mm. says that he's been in love with one princess or yeah. another almost all my life, and mm-hmm. I hope I shall go on so till I die. And find that an interesting line that maybe that's how he saw himself even if it wasn't something he acted on or yeah it's intriguing to speculate isn't it mm. and you were saying there's there is a room in the house that was the room that well he was described by him he describes how it's going to be and they're going to be a set of apartments and they're going to be perfect and there's a powder room been made everything is ready and waiting for her to come but she doesn't come she never actually gets here he dies mm. Well, on that note, let's head to our final location, the Garden Room. So we've just come in from the garden into the extension that Stern put onto the house, and this feels like an appropriate spot to bring our conversation towards an end. Uh, In a letter in July 1766, he wrote, At present I am in my peaceful retreat, writing the ninth volume of Tristram, which shall which turned out to be the last one. I shall publish but one volume this year, 
and the next I shall begin a new work of four volumes, which when finished I shall continue Tristram with fresh spirit. And of course that work of four volumes was a sentimental journey through France and Italy, of which he only wrote two volumes. And Lawrence Stern died in March 1768 of a complications from flu and pleurisy, just one month after those first two volumes of A Sentimental Journey were published. Now, Samuel Johnson, contemporary of, uh, of Stern, famously said that nothing odd will do long. Tristram Shandy did not last. And, I mean, it just feels completely wrong, doesn't it? I mean, what, Frank, why do you think it is that Tristram Shandy has lasted and continues to inspire people? I think because it's fun is one thing. And... I think appropriately the idea of liberty is at the heart of it, that I don't think any reader or writer reads that. I, I get that, you know, you can find it a frustrating read, but you come to that book and you feel set free. You're set free from the exigencies of time and the traditions of the novel. It is this huge kind of... It's like Alice in that way. Of that, It's mm-hmm. like it's just a... It throws everything in the face. And, and at the same time, that sounds like quite an intellectual thing. But at its heart, it's this incredibly warm thing that deals with core human experiences that are often neglected by the great novelists or great artists. You know, it's about birth. It's about loving your baby as it's born. It's about friendship. It's about loyalty. And it's about death. You know, these huge, huge themes dealt with in this deft, light-hearted manner that says you can wear life lightly, you know? Mm-hmm. And that life is a joke, you know, that you will finish mid-sentence, yes. you will plan four more volumes, you will, find, you will die in jest. And that's to be, that's to be treasured, that's mm. to be relished. That's not a bad thing. Mm. Frank, are there any uh, specific authors or artists that you can think of who've used the legacy of Tristan Shandy? I love to stumble across the, mm. the shrapnel from the explosion and mm-hmm. see where it's landed because it's often in quite unexpected places. There are literary things like in B.S. Johnson yeah. in, that's in um, Travelling People, he's got the black page. Which well, has a grey page, a to, gray begin page. With, to begin with because he's feeling a bit dicky. <laughs> and, and that, oh, that's right. And, and then, then it, it sort of, then he recovers from that, the character, and then sadly, it says no and then we have the an very, extended a double black page yeah. B.S. Johnson does feel very sort of shabby oh yeah hugely with holes but then in the pages unexpected places as well like Jamie Reed when he did the cover of mm. um, Anarchy in the UK the Sex Pistols single that's the black page right. and having heard him talk about that I realised that the Beatles White Album is a kind of anti-black page right. so people who've kind of clocked it and um i love princess bride which is one of yes. my favorite films yes me too in kaufman and is the book of the princess mm-hmm. bride does exactly a very very shandian thing which is that it purports to be a synopsis of another book that doesn't exist <laughs> and then when you watch the movie peter falk does those bits to the kid so the kid will stop and go, oh, there's kissing, I'm not interested. And so it'll stop and then come back later and this, actually, you, stay, you can stay with this kiss. Um, so you can just pick it up in different places. Yes. And, you can, and when you, whenever I see that, I always feel cheered because it's that kind of fellow feeling of someone else has read it and found That's something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the book ends in, in I, I would say, two ways. And I think what you do, Frank, in A Cock and Bull Story is 
dramatise both the ways in which it ends. So the, the text of the book ends with this kind of yet another digression about Walter Shandy's bull, who's <laughs> serving all the cows in the local area. And um, the two final lines are given to Tristram's mother, Elizabeth, also the name of his wife, and uh, Parson Yorick, the sort of version of him. Uh, and it goes, Lord, said my mother, what is all this story about? A cock and a bull, said Yorick, and one of the best of its kind I ever heard. So that's the final sentence, and it's a great way to finish the book, because of course the whole story is a cock and bull story. It's, you know, what have you been led uphill, down dale? And then as a reader, you shut the book, and I think that's the second ending, where you close the, this physical book that has been a kind of firecracker in your hands, and you then live the rest of your life changed because you've yeah, read definitely. this book. And w- what you do so brilliantly in the film adaptation is you have that final scene, and then a few seconds later, the, the film suddenly becomes the screening of the finished film. And there's one more pullback. So the actors who are playing themselves pull back to be the actors playing themselves. And I think that final twist is just such a brilliant way to end the film. Yeah, I, and I'm slightly disappointed with the film. As well, right. Which is like, this is great. You know, that's... The... <laughs> it didn't really work. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really work. Yeah. Which, is, which is very Shandian, isn't it? Very, mm, yeah. yeah. Well, Frank, Patrick, thank you so much both for talking about Tristan Shandy today. It's been such a pleasure to move around Shandy Hall and, and, and discuss this wonderful book with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Many thanks to Frank Cottrell-Boyce, Patrick Wildgust, Shandy Hall and the Lawrence Stern Trust and to our kind partners, Penguin Classics. I'm Henry Elliott, the producer is Andrea Rangecroft, and the music is by Don Gould. If you enjoyed this episode of On the Road with Penguin Classics, please spread the word and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, let's sign off with Stern's own words about the health benefits of reading Tristram Shandy from the end of Volume 4. Now that you have just got to the end of these volumes, the thing I have to ask is how you feel your heads. My own aches dismally. As for your healths, I know they are much better. True shandyism, think what you will against it, opens the hearts and lungs, and like all those affections which partake of its nature, it forces the blood and other vital fluids of the body to run freely through its channels and make the wheel of life run long and cheerfully round. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.